And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. In the councils of government, we must guard against the acquisition of unwarranted influence, whether sought or unsought, by the military-industrial complex. That we can, and so help us God, we will make America great again. What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of the No Gimmicks Podcast. I'm your humble host, as always, Brady Leonard. Hopefully, you guys are having a great week. Um, yeah, there's a as always, as always, there's a ton to get to today. I was joined by my good friend Eric Schaefer from Lone Conservative uh, and host of the Lone Conservative Podcast. Always a good time talking to Eric. Uh, we talked about uh, Notre Dame, uh, which burned to the ground earlier this week. Very sad news from Paris. Um, we talked about Bernie Sanders. Uh, entertaining town hall over on Fox News. We talked about um, the rest of the Democratic field and, uh, you know, talk a little smack, had some fun. It was good. I think you guys will enjoy it. Um, before I get to Eric, guys, follow us on Twitter at NoGimmicksPod if you don't already. Please tweet at us. We always tweet back. And if you haven't already, please get with the program. you got to subscribe. Subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Google Play. Or any of those other podcast sites, we're on all of them, or at least most of them. Um, if you're on iTunes, please give us a five-star rating and a good review. I would really appreciate that. All right, without further ado, here's my chat with Eric Schaefer. All right, guys, we're here with my good friend Eric Schaefer, host of the Lone Conservative Podcast. Eric, thanks for taking the time, my friend. Thanks for having me on once again, Brady. I'm I, uh, I'm so happy to be here. It's just, it's a great respite from not being able to record my own podcast in a little while. Absolutely. Well, it's it's always good to have you here. And uh, and I, I told just to let the audience know, I told Eric before we started recording, uh, I've had some pretty catastrophic computer problems today and had no time to uh, prepare for the show or take notes or anything. So we're kind of just we hit record. We're having a conversation. Whatever happens, happens. Um, that's going to be fun. Our conversations always end very well. Yeah, I don't think we really stick to the script uh, most of the time when you're on anyway. But uh, you know, no, we never do. It's like you'll, you'll have me on to talk about. Uh, I don't think we've ever ever actually talked about this, but you'll have me on to talk about something like abortion, and then all of a sudden we'll end up talking about the AAF and how that <laughs> collapsed. So. Yeah. I'm pretty sure we spent like 30 minutes talking about the Steelers one time. So that was you know. Oh yeah, how Drew Brees is the goat. Uh, and how you delusionally think that Ben Roethlisberger is the actual goat. Hey, count the championships, buddy. Anyway, <laughs> you're a Steelers fan, too, so just, you know, set the record straight. I know, but it's like <laughs> I can understand, like, Terry Bradshaw isn't the goat. Okay, like, if Ben Roethlisberger, if Terry Bradshaw isn't the goat, then Ben Roethlisberger isn't the goat. No, I like, mean, this, ben, this is Ben's, just how it's got to be. No, Ben's not the goat. Tom, As much as Tom Brady is evil, he's he is the goat. I will say Tom Brady's the goat. I'm still reluctant to admit it. But <laughs> so, we'll just leave it as I'm unsure. So let's jump into some of the news of the week. Obviously, the sad news of the week, uh, the Notre Dame Cathedral in Paris has burned down. Um, th- this this one, this was really sad, man. I mean, watching the, the spire at the top of, of Notre Dame falling down engulfed in flames was one of the one of the saddest things I've seen on the news in, in quite some time. Mm-hmm. Well, I was actually getting updates about this when I was in my management information systems class and it's basically this huge lecture hall and that sounds boring. it's pretty odd. Yeah, it's extremely boring, but <laughs> also the teacher makes it entertaining, but, but it's one of those huge lecture halls where it's actually the structure of it makes it very obvious and very apparent when you're looking down at your phone 
and like when you're not paying attention to the class. And my professor kept on glancing at me because the whole class I was just looking down on my phone. And the reason was because I was keeping up with these these events that were happening in in France with Notre Dame. It, it I'm not even a strictly I consider myself a religious person in the sense that I believe in God and I believe Jesus was His Son and I believe that in the values of Christianity. But I wouldn't call myself a, a loyal Catholic. I've said this many times. I'd probably consider myself more non-denominational. The only reason. I haven't officially converted is not is to avoid breaking my poor mother's heart. But but when Smart I was man. watching, oh yeah, I don't I don't want to get into this argument with her. Uh, when I was watching though, despite not being a very loyal Catholic, when I was watching Notre Dame burn down, and when I was watching that tower that spire collapse, it, it doesn't take a Catholic to understand that that is a even just for regular Christians, it's a huge site of reverence. It's a huge religious cultural heritage site, and Beyond that, I'm a history buff. I'm a history nerd. I love history beyond the religious metaphysical aspect. The material aspect is – luckily, they saved all the artifacts from what I heard. But the sad thing is you will never see Notre Dame or Notre Dame as it once was again, even if they've totally rebuilt it and make it look kind of like it was. It's not you – you will know in the back of your mind that it's not the same Notre Dame. You'll know in the back of your mind that it, it's it's not what it once was. It's not – not the original. And to see a historic monument like that, something that's meant so much throughout the history of Western world, burn, is it's extremely heartbreaking. It, it, my heart snapped when I saw that spire collapse. It, it was it was extremely sad. Another thing that was heartbreaking, too, was some of the... And I'm not saying this is a consensus um, on the left or anything, but seeing scrolling through Twitter and seeing some of the, the tweets and comments of leftists here in America celebrating Notre Dame burning to the ground, right? It's like we all know that the left has been at war with Western civilization in general for quite some time now, but it, it was it was, it was was just amazing to watch. These people were celebrating this famous cathedral burning down because they hate the West, they hate Christianity, they hate Catholicism. Um, what do you make of some of that just vile reaction from the left? I mean, even uh, Rolling Stone, for instance, wrote a piece suggesting that it was good that no- Notre Dame burned down, essentially. I'm paraphrasing, but that was... Well, I didn't see that, but may- that maybe was, I that's shouldn't, awful. Maybe I shouldn't be surprised at this point, but for some reason, I still am. So I will... You usually hear me use generalizations, and when I use generalizations, like when I say the left... It's because it's, it's pertinent to the conversation. When I say the left or when I say the right, that's usually because the majority of the left or a vast minority verging on the majority of the left or the, or the right agree with something. And it's not really pertinent to say the vast minority or a big minority verging on the majority agree with X. But I will defend the left here. I, a lot of your common character, like even Ilhan Omar, I'm sure she didn't mean it. I am 1,000% sure she didn't mean it. But even when you have Ilhan Omar coming out and saying, like, oh, this is so sad, we need to save this, I think you know that at the very least the majority of the left, even if they, they hate the ideas that Notre Dame stands for, understand that they can't. They, they, they are no cultural place to make a move against the ideas that Notre Dame represents. So I will defend the left in saying that I didn't see a lot of people going out there the other day. Obviously, that Rolling Stone piece is awful. But going out there the other day and saying, like, oh, it's so good that it's burned. So, so happy. Um, what I did see, though, were uh, 
the fringe, the usual fringe that you see on Twitter right. saying like, oh, other, this is good. The West is a cancer. This is this represented years of colonialism and imperialism. There was one woman who tweeted out this thread. She's like, well, while we're on the subject, like the most I hate my pet peeve is I hate pretentiousness. Like it's just among everything else. Uh, in terms of personality traits, I despise pretentiousness. Like, if you want me to hate you fast, just be a pretentious douche. And this person tweets out, well, while we're on the subject, other all, other cultures have lost their heritage sites. And they, like, went through a list of, like, all these heritage sites by different cultures that have been lost. I'm like, listen, that's sad, but I'm sure they would all understand that to have someone go up to them in the middle of their grief, like, say, say I don't know, the uh, uh, the great one of the great pyramids fell due to an un of unavoidable disaster or an avoidable disaster i should say and you go up to them as they're as someone in egypt is grieving some someone who that's really tied to their culture and you go up to them and they say well you say well you know maybe your pyramid's gone but there's been other heritage sites that have fallen too or you go up and you say oh you know notre dame is gone and so who gives a shit about the pyramids? Look, it's it's really fucking annoying and, and most most in other cultures it's not like the west Westerners are coming in and destroying their heritage or something like that. I mean, look, like ISIS, for instance, would take over a town in Iraq or Syria and then burn all the Muslim artifacts that were from a different sect of Islam that they didn't like or whatever. So usually the destruction of like Eastern and, and Middle Eastern uh, heritage comes at their own hands from them fighting each other and stuff like that. So I don't even that doesn't yeah, even well, seem like a valid argument. There were also some examples used of like Native American heritage sites that were destroyed by by American settlers. It's like, listen, I can. I, the thing is, I can understand the grief, and I can understand some bitterness, and I can understand the fact that there's resentment there. But at the same time, to go to go up to someone or to to approach a culture while they're grieving the loss of one of their biggest monuments or one of their biggest, I should say, heritage sites, while they're grieving the loss of one of their biggest heritage sites, to go up to them and say, "Well, you." Just, destroyed x or you know other cultures have lost y it's it's just really off-putting and it kind of belittle and i'm sure that, the, that honestly i'm pretty damn sure this was the point of the I'm sorry for cursing but i'm pretty damn sure this was the point of the tweet was you're, you're kind of belittling the grief of westerners right because other cultures have also lost it's like that's kind of a shitty thing to do grief is valid in in these cases regardless of who destroyed what or what was destroyed, if it's a cultural heritage site or, or something that is really intrinsically tied to your culture. Right. So it, it's it's just really stupid how insensitive some members of the fringe left are, are treating this when they would never treat it the same way if it were another culture that weren't the West. No, of course not. Uh, one more thing on, on the topic of, of Notre Dame. Um, Paris Fire Service is treating it as an accident. I have absolutely no reason not to not to believe him, obviously. Um, but anybody who does question this and say, wow, I wonder if this was arson. This is one of the world's most famous churches burning down during Lent. Uh, anybody that's even mm -hmm. questioning that, or, or, hey, I wonder what's going on here, is getting absolutely destroyed online. Side note, over 800 Christian churches have been targeted in France this year, mostly by Muslims. I'm not saying that Muslims targeted Notre Dame. I'm not saying that this wasn't an accident. It probably was an accident. I pray to God it was just an accident. But we're allowed to question. We're allowed to say, all right, the timing during Lent, one of the world's most famous churches burning to the ground. Hmm, I wonder if there was something nefarious going on here. How is that beyond the pale to just question that? Why aren't journalists <laughs> asking these questions? Like, the media is 
doing everything they can do to shut down anybody that is even questioning or speculating at all, or not even speculating, just thinking critically. You know, it's it's so well, strange yeah. to me, man. I don't think it necessarily is out of the pale to question it. I don't think it's it's out of uh, you know off the off the reservation to say, hey, there's a lot of tension going on, and not to the, this is the issue. A lot of the people, not a lot of the people, but there are some people. There are some again fringes that I've seen questioning whether this was arson, using it. They're they're questioning it in the sense that they're trying to not just overlay the tensions between. In certain Muslim populations and native populations in France, but they're kind of using it to condemn the Muslim community as a whole. And I think that's where you see a lot of people have issues. But the, the real issue is that these people, the people who, I'm sorry, the, the, the people who are just questioning it and saying, listen, there's tension right now, has nothing to do with the broader Muslim community, but there is tension between certain sects and the native French population. Like you said, over 800 churches have been targeted by extremist elements. Uh, there, there's There's been... It's it, it could be it could possibly be arson, especially with the timing, like you said, with the timing of it being during Lent, one of the holiest Catholic seasons. So I don't think it's out of the realm to question whether it was arson or not. But the issue is these people who are just plainly questioning it with with rational logic, saying again that the, the, these tensions are high between certain extremist elements and native French populations are being conflated with the people who are trying to lump in all Muslims and and are saying for sure this is this is the other issue they're being lumped in with people who are saying. Saying for sure that this was arson. Like there's some like I, not Lou Dobbs, but there was there were there. I've seen some Twitter check marks and some Twitter personalities, uh, and I know t- Twitter isn't representative of real life, but it's really all I have right now. <laughs> who are saying, who are saying, oh, it's definitely arson. This is a political cover up by the French government. It's definitely arson. So the people who are just normally questioning things are being conflated with the people who I think want to blame the whole Muslim community for this, and the people who are definitely assured that it's arson. And are just are convincing themselves of this QAnon conspiracy shit that it's a cover up. Um, so it, it's it's ridiculous. At, the, the, here's the thing: I, I get it because we usually tend to conflate arguments with their with their worst actors. So I can get why some people are doing that to other people. But at the same t- at the same time, we're expected to be ra- rational beings, and it's it's pretty ridiculous that the people who are just questioning could this have been an arson are being conflated with the people who are saying oh it's the it's the freaking muslims right and just one more point on that is the media can make conspiracy theorists out of anyone when yeah. they when they don't think critically at all and they try to shut down anybody with any dissenting opinion i mean if you're already prone to conspiracy theories or prone to you know blaming muslims for stuff like this something like that and you question it, and you immediately get shut down by the media. No, bigot. No, don't. No, don't ask questions. No, it was an accident. Shut up. Shut the fuck up. Why wouldn't? If you're prone to believing conspiracy theories, you're like, yeah, this is bullshit. <laughs> the media is lying to me. Like they obviously are covering something up. Like I see why people head down that that road. The media is doing this. I mean, the, the media is the yeah. problem here, in my opinion. So, and you know, we we have to move on. I don't want to spend the the whole show on Notre Dame, but yeah, that. Really sucks. And one, uh, one, one side note. Also, um, I don't believe anybody was hurt in in this fire. So thank God. No, I don't think so. And they say, like I said, they saved all the artifacts, right. from what I understand. So. Right. Um, so our favorite uh, 95-year-old communist uh, senator Bernie Sanders um, did a town hall on Fox News earlier this week, and it was pretty interesting. Um, I watched the highlights. I tried to make it all. I, I I can only listen to Bernie Sanders talk for about 10 minutes before I want to kill myself. <laughs> So uh, I, I couldn't make it all the way through. I kind of watched the uh, the Cliff Notes version. But um, 
before we get into what anything that he actually said, most politicians <laughs> at least try to like they try to be likable. Like the, the the old adage, like who would you rather have a beer with, is usually who wins elections. So like the politicians try to be likable and approachable, or at least like pleasant. You know, like at least not mm-hmm. evil. Bernie Sanders, I guess yeah. you can call it authentic. I guess <laughs> giving him the benefit of the doubt, he does not even try. I mean, he is just a angry, bitter old James Bond villain. Like that is who he is. He is a bitter, angry little man. And uh, it, it's he's. I, I'm trying to. I'm racking my brain here. I don't think I remember another politician who did not care at all about coming off as pleasant or approachable. <laughs> well, here's the thing. Like Bernie, I think Bernie did. From what I've seen, the snippets that I've seen, I think Bernie did a decent job. At the town hall, I think he did. I think he did good enough on a hostile network to give himself some more credibility. But it wasn't a ho- they. It was it was his crowd. Well, okay, hostile so, in the sense that if you're like if you go, let's say you go on C, let's say Trump goes on CNN, and for some they'd never do this, but they put Trump in front of a Trump-friendly crowd, but you're still getting interviewed by something like Joe Scarborough and Mika Brzezinski, right? That, that's still considered a hostile network. You're just in front of a friendly crowd. Yeah, but it was hosted I, for, by Brett Baer. I mean, it wasn't Sean Hannity. Like, yeah, if it was, you know, it, it wasn't point. it wasn't Laura Ingram. Like that would have been hostile. But but yeah, go on. Sorry, sorry. Well, for what would be considered a hostile network then um, toward Bernie Sanders, I think he did a good job. Uh, Brett Baer, by the way, to, to give him credit because I, from what I've seen, Brett Brett Baer and Martha McCallum handled it very well. Right. I think they did a really good job. I think they called Bernie on his BS just enough times to make it where it's you're you're not being a you know, you're not just going after him for every little thing. You're going after him for what matters. I think that, from what I saw, they did a very good job. Um, the issue that I see is people are giving him too much credit. He People are saying, like, oh, he just did. Like, the, the Shapiro brought this up on his show that the media is trying to say, like, like, oh, my God, look, a Fox News crowd cheering for Bernie when it's obviously Bernie Rose in the crowd. But one of the things that I think the right actually is giving him too much credit for, too, is they're saying, oh, he did so good. He did such a good job. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Like you said. Brett Barron and Martha McCallum were his interviewers. It wasn't Hannity. It wasn't Laura Ingram. The other, the other issue is he got called out, and just not just justifiably, but he got called out successfully more than a lot of people would like to admit, specifically with the tax argument. Now, I'm not oh. someone who usually advocates the argument that you go up to someone who wants to raise taxes and say, why don't you personally pay more just because it's so overplayed and there's so many responses to just that plain old question. But when Martha McCallum was like, okay, well, why don't you – you're a millionaire. You practice what you preach. Pay 54% of your salary. And she's like, why don't you do that? You know, you can give it to the Treasury Department. There's ways to do that. And he's like, why don't you pay more, Martha? I'm like – I know. See, you're right. That's (laughs) typically not an effective attack. But it was an effective attack on Bernie Sanders because he's so terrible and he's such a – yeah, he had no good answers anytime Brett Bear or Martha McCallum called him out. Yeah, he, he shoots right back. Well, well, you're rich too. Why don't you pay more? And then it's Brett like Bear, she's like saying, "I don't want to volunteer more of my wealth." And Brett Bear just you says, do. "Brett Bear just says, well, she's not running for president, and she's not suggesting we raise everyone's taxes." And then Bernie <laughs> didn't just... have an answer to that. And then they they got him to finally admit that he's uh, if he were president. He would raise everyone's taxes to uh, pay for Medicare for all. I thought that was that was interesting. He just came out and said it. Um, I don't think I don't think he did well at all, man. Like I I I remember feeling the same way back going back to 2015, 
you know, people would say, oh, you know, isn't Bernie Sanders just way better than Hillary Clinton? Uh, you know, she, you know, he smoked her in a debate or, you know, he, he's authentic and he seems like a, a nice guy who's just mis, you know, misguided. You know, he, he's a socialist and that's not good, but he seems like a genuinely nice person. I've always hated Bernie. I mean, I think he's a terrible person. I think he's a, a, a I don't think he's very bright. I don't think he does well in the debate at all. Um, his, it's basically just like Karl Marx 101, like a 19-year-old college kid's <laughs> responses to everything after they read the Communist Manifesto for the first time. Like, that's basically his response to everything. And like I said, just to open this segment, I just think he's just an angry guy. If you just look at how he, he just hates people, like he hates the rich. He hates capitalism, and it, it's just oozing out of every pore in his body, just the hatred for for capitalism. And it's it's just it's so interesting, man, that that people get behind it and people fall for this. Like it's, I've never seen an un, a less likable politician be this popular. It's so strange. Mm-hmm. Like I get it. Like I get why, you know, Pete Buttigieg He's the would it. be popular. I, I I get why Beto O'Rourke would be popular. Or I, I do not get it. I do not get Bernie Sanders' appeal. He is the id. He's the guy that says everything that de- the Democratic Socialists wish they could say, or everything that the Democrats wish they could say in a political environment. Doesn't he? Doesn't you, to be the id? You don't have to be likable. You just have to say things that everyone's thinking. And that's what Bernie is. That's why he's so likable. That's why everyone loves him. Is it doesn't matter if he sounds ill-informed when he's saying. Actually, I think Bernie is good when he's just giving a speech. The thing that he's good at is he's good at sounding kind of what he knows what he's talking about until. He- question him so that's one thing but also he's the id he'll just shout higher taxes i want medicare for all and it's like everyone my awful bernie impression but he he's everyone cheers to that because everyone wants to say that everyone wants to give that simple of an answer everyone wants to implement that government program but no one in the democratic party and very few of the democratic socialists that we currently see in office right now i mean until ocasio cortez and everything had the actual balls to say i want i want you to raise your taxes. So it's it's just something that I think makes anyone likable. When you're that one guy in a group of PC people who's willing to say what everyone's thinking, everyone's going to like you, even if you may personally not be the most likable individual. It was funny. The Bernie bros in that audience were just cheering like seals the entire time, <laughs> even when Bernie would get called out and would not give a coherent answer. Like that, that was the, f- the most fascinating part for me. Like these, these commies are so brainwashed that they would eat up anything Bernie said regardless. <laughs> I mean, he got, he got called out. He was explaining his Medicare for all proposal and how it would give free health care to everyone. And then he explained that he'd have to raise everybody's taxes. So you'll be paying more in taxes, but health care will be free. And then I forget if it was Bear or McCallum that says, well, all right, so that's not free, though. That's, that's not what free means. Well, healthcare is never really free. It's <laughs> Okay, but, and, but he's like, it'll be free when you use it. Uh, okay, it's free when you use it. But wait, okay, yeah, I got that. Like, I'm using my computer. <laughs> I bought the computer. Technically, I didn't, I mean, it doesn't have, like, a coin slot. I didn't have to, like, put, like, a bunch of nickels into my computer to, to record this podcast. So... I guess I'm using it for free now, but I I paid money for it. How do these Bernie bros not get... Like, oh my goodness. Marxism in general... I don't know if you've read the Communist Manifesto. I have. I've read a lot of Karl Marx. Well, you're a college kid, so I I should have assumed that you have. But um, um, 
everything redistribute the means of production. It's everything Karl Marx said, and I I I, I mean this. Everything Karl Marx said was absolutely retarded. And let, let me give an example. <laughs> Do you remember his rant? I, I forget if it was in Communist Manifesto or in one of his other books, where he's explain he explains that people shouldn't have to have a career. They should just do whatever they want. <laughs> so he's like, one day I'll be a hunter, and the next day I'll be a fisherman, and the next day I'll be an artist, and the next day I'll be a... And it's so he's, he thinks, like, you shouldn't have to actually get good at something. You should just do whatever you want. That is literally the, the thinking of a toddler. Like, that is like like a five-year-old before Halloween. Like, I'll be a fireman, and then I'll be a policeman, and then I'll be an astronaut, and then I'll be a lion. You know, like, liter- that's literally the thinking of a six-year-old <laughs> child. That is absolutely ridiculous. And that's not how life works. I've been playing guitar for 25 years. It'll take me another 100 years to master the guitar. That is just how it works. Like, everything about communism, everything about Marxism is absolutely childish and nonsensical. I, I, don't, I mm-hmm. have no, like I said, no notes for this show. Sorry, guys. I just went on a random rant. But I guess tying it back to Bernie Sanders, it's it's just it takes a special kind of stupid to find these these proposals and these policies attractive, I guess, is my ridiculously long winded way to say that. Now I'm just imagining like a whole communist village pretending to be be (laughs) Hawaiians. Just a shit show. A communist, no, a communist village will look like a children's Halloween party, apparently. <laughs> Except they're all switching costumes every five minutes. People just randomly coming up to you, going rawr. Every <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, you're you're exactly right. Most most of everything that Marx here, the the issue is is that Marx was it was it was difficult times for a lot of people. Living conditions weren't. I mean, compared to you know previous centuries, yes, living conditions were amazing. But living conditions were very desperate, or disparate. Uh, the, the rich were living much, 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 much better than the poor. And there were, I think there were, the issue was also that a lot of these governments at the time of Marx weren't free market economies. They, they did have legitimate issues with corporate corruption because right. the issue was these governments were, were essentially corporatist governments. Right. Uh, they were governments that acted on not just behalf, not on behalf of their constituents, uh, or they, they're not governments that just stayed out of the market. They would actively try and oppress the worker through the means of, of corporate influence. So that was a major issue that was happening at the time, but a lot of people wanted to blame capitalism and free markets, even though that's not what capitalism and free markets are about. But Mark was that id. Mark was the Bernie of, of way back when. He was someone who would be willing to go up to a lot of people who were, who were thinking the exact same thing but didn't have the courage to say it because they didn't want to lose their jobs, and they, he'd say, I think we should kill all these rich people. Because he, he says a block. A bloody, violent revolution. Yeah. He said, I think we should kill all these rich people. I think we should take their shit. I think we should redistribute it amongst all of you. It's <laughs> You know a lot of those people working in those factories were probably thinking the same damn thing. It's just he was willing to say it. He was, and it doesn't, you, you don't need to be intelligent to be an id. So Marx was an id. Bernie Sanders is an id. This, this is just why this is why they're so popular. And I, I can't really come up with anything past that. It's because Bernie Sanders knows when he needs to get angry, and he gets angry. And people like that someone's expressing their anger for them, even if their anger is totally unjustified and coming from a place of, of lack of knowledge. Right. And it's speaking about the, the violent socialist revolution. I mean, to, to anybody who doesn't think that Marxism is inherently violent and genocidal, Marx did say, quote, uh, the last capitalist alive will be the one that sells us the rope, unquote. 
So very nice guy, Karl Marx. Um, what, what do you make of the uh, the rest of the Democratic field? It is fascinating. Joe Biden was the front runner this this whole time, and Joe Biden hasn't even jumped into the race officially yet, but I'm sure he will soon. By the way, don't you owe me money? Wait, why? Wait, what did, did I what did you, I bet you for? You I knew it was me, something about Beto. Yeah, you bet me that Beto wasn't going to run. Oh fuck! How much did I bet? I had something like a billion dollars. I don't know. No, <laughs> no. Uh, I think it was like I'll have to go back and listen to that episode now because I, I think I know which one it was. So I think it was fifty <laughs> bucks. So when I when I see you, I'll give you fifty dollars. There you go. I'll write you a check. Just just buy me a beer uh, next time I'm in North Carolina, and we'll call it even. You better be down here soon then. Uh, <laughs> but no, what I think of the field right now, I mean, honestly, listen, man. I've been really wrong about these presidential oh, candidates. Same, same, <laughs> same. I thought Beto wasn't going to run. I thought that – actually, that was the only place where I've been terribly wrong. I've been pretty fucking right about – I love cursing on your podcast. It's the only place I can do it. Hey, I'm, I've, I've been, have at it. Have at it. I've been, I've been pretty damn right about Bernie Sanders, okay? Like how he has a solid like probably 30% under his belt. How that that base is just solid. It's solely for Bernie. It's the really uber progressive wing of the party because when you're running in a primary, you need to be as radical as possible. Two people who are rising who I think could be dark horses are Pete Buttigieg, Buttigieg, however the hell you pronounce his name. Uh, he's been uh, – and I think Buttigieg is, is up to 9% now. First could be a dark horse who's at, I believe, 4% in the last poll, which is impressive considering just like oh, two months ago he was at like 0.5% is Andrew Yang. Yang Gang. Uh, the only thing I take in Andrew Yang winning is maybe like a 0.5% possibility I get $1,000 a month. Uh, <laughs> but no, Andrew Yang is really impressive. He's gotten a ton of individual donors. I think he's been sealing up some uh, bigger pack donations. He's been rising very quickly compared to his other colleagues. Like I said, he was like a, a, I think he was lit like at a less than a percent. Like two months ago, now he's up up to four. He's officially going to be on the debate stage. He's been on the Sunday special. He's been on the Joe Rogan show. One of the only candidates who's actually been on the Joe Rogan show in the Sunday special. He's been building up steam. He's been building up popularity, and the media is not really focusing on him. Uh, I think he, if you can get him a CNN town hall, it's it's over. <laughs> I think he'll get up to like probably seven eight percent. Um, but Andrew Yang and Pete Buttigieg have been two people, I think, to watch. Uh, not maybe, I mean, by the slim chance, Bernie somehow doesn't have that 30% radical progressive vote sealed up. I think there's a slight, and I, I say slight, so no one can come at me for being terribly wrong, there's a slight possibility that they actually come out as serious contenders in this thing. I, th- I Actually, I think Buttigieg is already kind of a, ser- a semi-serious contender, but I mean, Yang, there's a small chance that he actually comes out as a pretty serious contender and starts building a political name for himself. Right. I, I, I think you're absolutely right, especially about Pete Buttigieg. He's polling second or third in, in a lot of these uh, in a lot of these polls. I think he's polling third in Iowa, and obviously we know how important Iowa is. Um, but they're both awful. Like Pete Buttigieg and Andrew Yang are, are neither one of them are particularly good at this. I think the bar is just so low. I mean, like Andrew Yang came off well on the Ben Shapiro show because he's not a complete dumbass. Like that. That's it. And Everybody else, like every Beto O'Rourke speech or every Cory Booker speech, they come off as complete morons. So, like, it, to, <laughs> to gain some traction in this primary process, all you have to do is not be a complete idiot. And that's why, like, we've talked about on the show a ton about, like, who could be a dark horse 
candidate to, to win the nomination. Yeah, it could be Yang. It could be Buttigieg. It could be somebody like uh, even somebody like Amy Klobuchar, specifically because yeah. no, only for if for no other reason, Amy Klobuchar isn't a complete idiot. So, like, when you get on a debate stage with all 35 other candidates and the rest of them are just <laughs> screaming and yelling like imbeciles and then you can make a coherent point, you're going to get a 10-point bump in the polls. You know what I mean? So it's like, yeah. it's it's like you know, when you're running away from a bear, you don't have to outrun the bear. You just have to outrun everybody else. And uh, I think that's, like, a nice metaphor for the intellect of these Democrats. You don't have to be smart. You just have to be smarter than Spartacus and Kamala Ooh. Harris. And Bernie Sanders, you know, so it's like, I, I don't know, man. It, it's it's fascinating. And another point, uh, I brought this up before you started recording. Something that's really killing a lot of these candidates, like Cory Booker, like Kirsten Gillibrand, like Elizabeth Warren. They're so they're under the impression that they have to do all these weird things to to win elections. They they have to like create this fake persona, like obviously, literally. With in the case of Elizabeth Warren, she had to pretend to be an Indian, but um. You know, like Kirsten Gillibrand will just go wherever the wind goes. You know, she's uh, tries to reinvent herself on a weekly basis to try to win votes. Cory Booker, and I didn't realize this. I read an article about Cory Booker the other day. Cory Booker was an elite athlete, a high-level D1 football player. He had a full scholarship to Stanford. He played tight end. He was a starting tight end at Stanford. So he's like this badass D1 football player from New Jersey. Like, he should be running as, like, the badass tough guy, tough Jersey guy who was a D1 football player. Wouldn't that be way more appealing to voters in Ohio than I'm this feminist vegan little bitch? You know what I mean? Like, what, what, like I don't get... He's a Democrat, so he has to be the, the vegan feminist little bitch, but like, if you want to win Michigan, being the tight end for Stanford, who's this badass, tough guy from Jersey, would go a hell of a lot farther than the vegan. You know, like, why don't these people just be themselves? Like, why do they feel like they have to conform to, like, the the weird, woke, weak, pussy, leftist persona? It's it's so strange, man. Look, sorry, I'm I'm ranting again. One more point on Cory Booker. For the history of humanity, every man in the history of humanity has tried to make themselves seem tougher than they really are. Except for, like, Democratic politicians that have to pretend to be Mm -hmm. way less tough than they really are. It's very strange. Very strange. Anyway. I think it's because, for one, I, I disagree with some of your characterization, uh, but <laughs> I don't I, – I think the issue is that despite how much a lot of my liberal friends will deny it, and I respect them, but I think the Democratic Party frowns on natural, not toxic. I do think toxic masculinity is a thing. I've talked about it on my podcast before, but I think the, that a lot of Democrats and the Democratic Party as a whole and the left – do frown on traditional masculinity. They frown on the fact that men are supposed to be just not unfeeling, but are supposed to be tougher. They're supposed to be somewhat more stoic. They're supposed to be more, just the word for it is masculine. Uh, and they, they treat masculinity as a bad thing. And if you, if you have a base that considers masculinity a bad thing and you're a male, then you can't, it's sad, but you can't really act masculine like you really are and like everyone thinks like masculine be, means acting tougher than you really know it just means acting like a man not crying tears of rage when you hear about some political policy you don't like it's it's just ridiculous i think he's expected by his base and by the party to not act like a man uh <laughs> but 
it, it, it's it's really it's gotten annoying at this point that a lot of these men in the Democratic field don't feel the, again it has nothing to do with going like yeah I'm a man let's eat some meat it's it's just like act like a dude yeah like you don't need to act like you're extreme I'm I'm considered relatively sensitive for being a dude like relatively good at, at empathy and, and feeling and blah 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 but even I'm like fuck I'm not gonna cry all the time <laughs> I'm not gonna I'm I'm you're not gonna cry I, I, Wait, I, you don't I have my man you don't cry tears of rage on the lone conservative stop it podcast. I mean, look, <laughs> no, but if I you're have, trying to win. I'm a man. I act like a man. Exactly. It, that, but that's the thing. Like, what's gonna it, like Cory, Cory Booker's never gonna be president. So I mean, that, there's no. that. But like, what would be more effective to win Ohio? Talking about veganism or like showing a video of him like catching a pass and giving some cornerback a concussion when he was a guy. Like, you know what I mean? Like, that would be way better. But <laughs> all right, I know you got a heart out here in in a minute, uh, Eric, and I gotta let you go. But where can everybody hear your show? Um, where can uh, everybody follow you online and read your stuff and keep in touch and all of that good stuff? So you can follow the podcast on Twitter at the Loco Pod. It's really funny. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter. I'm finally unprotected at Real Eric Schaefer, and you can listen to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, and I think that's oh, and we're on KLRN every Monday and Friday at nine. So you can listen to the show there, The Lone Conservative. Make sure to leave a five-star review if you find us on iTunes or like the track and follow us on SoundCloud. And, and uh, I look forward to having all these listeners flock over to my podcast. <laughs> Absolutely. Check out <laughs> check out his show. It is it is great. Check out The Lone Conservative Podcast. I heard I heard it through the grapevine that you actually have a very special guest coming on this week. So, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm pretty yeah, sure I mean, that uh, he's a very smart He's, he's kind of – I mean, listen, he's kind of full of himself. Yeah. I'm, be honest i'm not really a big fan of him yeah. he invites me on his show all the I damn know, time but it, it's <laughs> no but brady I'm, I'm looking forward to having you it'll on and giving you a razzing it'll be fun all right so everybody uh look forward to that as well <laughs> everybody follow eric uh, on twitter uh that's all i got for today i'm brady leonard i will be back on monday no gimmicks um.